Hello. Hello. I'm Koel. And I'm Kenna. Welcome back to another episode of Diagnosing a Killer. I'm excited for this one because I've been semi-researching it for the better part of like a week or two now, just off and on, you know, when I can get to it. But I'm excited about it because it is our first, well, depending on uh, what was her name with the, with the pickaxe. Oh, uh. His name was like Jerry and her name was. Yeah. Carla, I think. Carla. Carla Faye Tucker. Yeah, Carla Tucker. (laughs) Besides them, for the most part, this is going to be, like, our first killer couple. Oh! Yes. And what's even more interesting is that it happened in the 1940s. So this is the 1940s. It is the 1940s. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to start out by talking about Raymond Fernandez. He was born on the big island of the territory of Hawaii, and it's the territory of Hawaii at this point because this is December 17th, 1914. So it was oh. before it was a state. Um, although I think that the U.S. owned the territory of yeah. Hawaii. Both of his parents were of Spanish Spanish origin. They were from Spain, and they had pretty traditional values growing up. And soon after Raymond had turned three, the family decided to actually move to the States, and they moved to Bridgeport, Connecticut. Unfortunately, though, Raymond's father was really resentful of his son, and I did try looking to see if there was something in their past as to why... He disliked his son, but the only thing I could really find was that Raymond was just kind of this thin, meek child, Mm -hmm. and his father really believed in, like, working really hard, like, physical labor and things like that. So his dad would work construction or as a handyman, and he would always make Raymond do the worst of the things. Like, if it meant getting dirtier than him, he Mm -hmm. would make Raymond do it. Or if it was more heavy lifting, he would make Raymond do it. So he was pretty much, like, trying to pretend like he was this foreman kind of guy, but he really wasn't. Yeah. He was just a jerk. So when Raymond was kind of growing up, um, he would oftentimes leave home, um, not necessarily, like, a runaway, but he would uh, try to stay out of the house as much as possible because he didn't like being around his dad. So when he was younger, he would get, like, even as an adolescent at 11 or 12, he was getting into things like vandalism or destroying property around town. And in 1932, when Raymond was 16, Raymond and a few friends were actually caught stealing chickens from a local property. They were just fuck-off teenagers, right? But, like, two or three of them plus Raymond. Well, two of the boys had actually been bailed out by their parents, Raymond's father left Raymond in the jail for two months to As serve like a twelve-year-old. No, at sixteen. This is still, 16. <laughs> but still, yeah, he was like, "No, you're gonna sit there and you're gonna serve your sentence." Essentially, like he wasn't I mean, gonna bail him out. Mom always told us growing up, if you get yourself in jail, good luck getting yourself out because I'm not bailing you out. I've never had to experience the, <laughs> so the after, option. After serving his first stint in jail, the whole family actually moved back to Spain. Um, during this time, his father would actually become mayor of, or I want to say it's Orgiva, Granada, Spain. And um, yeah, so he became the mayor where they lived locally. And again, I tried to find information about Raymond's father. It never once gave me a name, but I think he's just so 
old. Like, no. <laughs> well, he's so dead now. <laughs> but but I, I tried to look up for Mayor Fernandez or something like that in Granada, Spain, and I couldn't really find anything. So I'm wondering if... I don't know, like, changed his name when he came over. Yeah, or he didn't want to, or it's, like, a shameful thing now, because, I mean, we'll learn a little bit more about Raymond. Okay. (laughs) Everybody loves Raymond. (laughs) So he must have distanced himself quite a bit. So at 20, Raymond moved away from the family to Gibraltar, and um, this is where he became an ice cream vendor, which I think is really cute. Okay. So um, he would actually work on his uncle's farm around this time as well for extra income. And Raymond actually met a local woman. Her name was Encarnacion Robles. No. Yes. Encarnacion. Encarnacion. <laughs> I like toast. My favorite animals is puppies. Oh, that's hilarious. So they would actually get married and together they would have two children. The people of the town described Raymond around this time as calm and well-mannered. And when uh, World War II struck, Raymond actually wanted to help in any way that he could so he volunteered to serve the Spain Merchant Marines, and he became an intelligence officer for the British, which I thought was also really that cool. That is cool. So he seems to be doing well, you know? Yeah. Where's the poop? Where's the poop? <laughs> so in December of 1945, Raymond would actually um, make plans to travel to the U.S. to make more money for the family. While on this trip unfortunately raymond would have an accident that would change his life for forever while on the trip to the u.s a giant steel hatch actually fell onto raymond's head he was like climbing out of a thing and it hit him in the head it actually fractured his skull and damaged his frontal lobe permanently and you know the frontal lobe is very important exactly. for impulse control and decision making right. and rationality. And we and talked about that in our CTE episode yeah. as well. And also, I feel like there's been a lot of cases with people that have been mur- mass murderers and you know the worst of the worst that have had damage to their frontal lobe after they've you know passed. They've figured it out. Yeah. So he would actually be hospitalized for three months recovering. But he would never fully recover due to the severity of the accident. Oh, that sucks. At this point, Raymond would become impulsive, and he actually became addicted to sexual perversions. Doesn't surprise me. Just in the following year, in 1946, Raymond began to live in Mobile, Alabama. He would actually be arrested for trying to steal clothing from a ship that was docked, and he just tried to, like, take the clothing clothing off the ship, but he was caught. Okay. Which is ridiculous because he even said he didn't know why he did it. It was just like, well, I'm just going to steal this now. Like, I'm like, I need money. Yeah. Or something. Very bizarre. So Raymond would actually be sentenced to serve a year long term in prison for stealing clothing. I don't know why. I, that, that the linen face. Just <laughs> <laughs> Shirt ripper. <laughs> so he actually served uh, his prison sentence in Tallahassee, Florida. So during this time, Raymond actually became a, very attached to a, a prison mate, and he begin, began listening to the Haitian man's stories of voodoo and black magic. Oh, God, here we go. Straight up. So he began to practice black magic to himself, and he focused on learning the art of seduction. Raymond believed that he had become irresistible to women. 
Ew, that makes me want to throw up. Yes, yes. So once released from prison, Raymond would move to New York City, and there he became obsessed with responding to Lonely Heart Club columns in local newspapers. Oh, what the fuck ever. Not even joking. So Raymond at this point now looked physically meek. He was bald and he at one you know one point he was handsome um but he became a recluse at this point. But he's irresistible to women though. in his mind. Therefore he would reach out to hundreds of women seeking love or companionship by writing letters and meeting with any woman that was willing to meet up. He would often put powders inside of the envelopes and then um, including in, included in the letters were requests for personal items like a hair or like a ring or an earring. And then when he would get the response letter back, he would perform voodoo on it. And then, yeah, to make the women fall in love with him. Did it work? <laughs> Wait, what happened to his wife? Think that it wouldn't, huh? Did his wife leave him? No. <laughs> She's in Spain with Wait, two what kids. She's in Spain his with children. two kids. Oh no. So once Raymond received them, like I said, he would he would perform these little voodoo spells on them. And Raymond would in, uh and eventually insist on meeting up with the women and then he would try to gain their trust and schmooze with them and all this stuff and then he would rob women. Like, he would say, let's meet up at a park, or let's meet up at wherever. So he would meet them, and he would rob them. And sometimes, I mean, he would use aliases and stuff like that. You also have to keep in mind this is the 1940s. Yeah, You like literally really could have, you know, the letter didn't need to come to your house. It could go to the a post office. Um, so, yeah, and a lot of the times these crimes weren't reported because the women were embarrassed that they were a part of, like, a, a you know, <laughs> woman-seeking men, you know, a pen pal situation. It reminds me of Mean Girls, whatever you said that he would, like, do voodoo on their stuff mm. when Regina and George is like, she said she's gonna do some weird African voodoo, voodoo. on your <laughs> tissue to make you like her. And the tissue. Yeah, it's like a tissue. <laughs> she collects your tissues. Uh. so creepy. Ugh. So in 1947, Raymond was corresponding in length with a woman named Jane Thompson. Jane was a former chef, and she seemed to be doing pretty well on her own. Um, she was actually taking care of her elderly mother full-time who lived with her at this time. So throughout their conversation and meetings, Raymond had convinced Jane to purchase two cruise ship tickets okay. to Spain. Okay. The two arrived in Spain, and Raymond was able to convince Jane to check them into a local hotel under the guise of them being husband and wife. This is, like, no joke. Like, they, they were talking in length. I say length, but it was probably a few weeks. Like, wow. three, four weeks. But in, in, I mean, during this time, he's also responding to other women as yeah, well. Yeah, of course. And what is this Jane lady getting out of this? Like, just, like, companionship. attention? Yeah. Yeah, companionship. So, unbeknownst to Jane, at first, they were actually staying at a local town where Raymond's wife lived with oh, their two children. Who saw that one coming? <laughs> Raymond would actually split time between his wife and Jane um, throughout the duration of the trip, right? So what they were supposed to only... Can, yeah, they were supposed to be there for, like, maybe a week, but I think they ended up staying, like, two. After a while, Raymond eventually just took the leap and introduced Jane to Encarnacion. No. Not even kidding. So I'm assuming that she's, like, saying, like, oh, this is my friend Jane, or this is, I don't know, or maybe this is my ex-wife and these are my kids, and that's why... Either way, he tried to, like... But again, his impulsivity. Like, he doesn't... He thinks it's just... 
Yeah, and he can't rationalize anything, so he yeah. just thinks that everyone's just going to go along with what he's saying. Right, exactly. And, and he's irresistible, don't forget. Oh, he's so, totally irresistible. Yeah, so they're just going to go with it. He probably thinks this is going to be like a threesome deal. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, in any case, of course, it eventually comes out the true nature of each relationship to each woman. Encarnacion and Jane fought one night, and the whole situation was too much for Raymond to handle. Jane was actually found dead the morning of November 8th, 1947, in their hotel room. Hold the phone. That, that was a 180. Witnesses claim that they heard fighting in the night and even saw Raymond storming out of the hotel room, slamming the door as he left. Jane's body was removed from the scene, and the local ME determined that the cause of death was from unknown causes, and Jane was buried without an autopsy. What? Yeah. Well, this is 1947. As long as it's you like still weren't there when the cops arrived, and you could so get away weird. with it. I guess. I was like, holy shit. Either way, um, the night of the 7th or the morning of the 8th before Jane was found, Raymond boarded a ship once again leaving his wife and children in Spain and headed back for New York. Wait, so did Raymond kill her or did uh, did Encarnacion kill her? Because they were knows. fighting. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Oh, that sucks. When, Poor Jane. When Raymond got back to New York, he actually gained access to Jane's apartment because he had taken all, all of her possessions. He had, like, stolen money off of her and everything and her keys. What the hell? So he went back to Jane's apartment and he obtained her last will and testament. No. He changed her beneficiary recipient to himself, including her car and her apartment. What a fucking cock. And since her elderly mother lived with Jane... What? What? She was there? So, remember at the beginning when I said that she was, she had a really good job as a chef and, like, also yeah. she was taking care of her elderly mother? Well, now that he has the apartment to himself, he actually kicks Jane's mother out on her ass. And does Jane's mom know that she's dead? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. She's, she's just, just like, missing. your daughter's dead. Get out. I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how old she is. She's probably pretty old. But that's really fucked up. That is fucked up. So... All the while, Ra Raymond is still... I was saying ramen. All the while, ramen. <laughs> ramen noodles. Ramen noodles. All the while, Raymond was still continuing to correspond with other women. And in the same year, Raymond would meet one Martha Beck. Oh, no. Martha Beck, maiden name Seabrook, was born May 6, 1920 in Milton, Florida. Due to a quote-unquote glandular issue... Glan glandular issue, which I guess is, like, an olden term for, like, I don't know, like, your pituitary gland or whatever, like, yeah. a glandular issue, which I guess was a common term. Martha had actually begun to gain weight at a very young age, like, a lot of weight. Her mother would actually berate her about her size at, for as long as she could remember. She was teased and taunted by her classmates, and she began to actually develop at an early age, too, so it probably was pituitary. I think, yeah, I was gonna say, that sounds like pituitary. So by the time she was, like, in middle school, she had a lot of physical features of, like, a young woman, but because of the pituitary issue, she actually began to notice boys at an uncommon age as well. Mm -hmm. So she was, like, 10 or 9 or 10 oh, when she started no. noticing boys. Well, at 10 years old, she claimed that she was actually sexually assaulted by her biological brother. This was never confirmed, but this is what she claimed later in life. She was actually berated by her mother. Her mother blamed her and beat her, saying that she was overly sexualized and that she was the one that was harassing the brother, and that's why it happened. Because that's her fault. Yeah. 
apparently. Oh, that's awful. And this is what Martha said. We don't have Mrs. Yeah, true. Seabrook around any longer. So as she grew older, um, she pined for a relationship, just like any other teenager. But again, because of her weight, she was often rejected. Either way, Martha was a really smart girl, and she actually graduated top of her class in 1942. She wanted to become a nurse um, because she really wanted to help people, but due to her appearance, and keep in mind this is sexist 1942, mm-hmm. because of her appearance, she was never, she couldn't get hired as a nurse. She wasn't attractive <sighs> enough. So she, of course, needing a job and wanting to be helpful to people, she actually got a job at a funeral home where she did women's hair and makeup, like for deceased women, which is noble work for sure. Yeah. But being a loner, she poured herself into work, so she found comfort, you know, in in just preparing people for burial. She did that for some time, but within a year, um, she wanted a fresh start, so she relocated to California, and she started working for a nur- uh, as a nurse for the Army. So during the day, she would work as a nurse, but at night, she would frequent bars and usually take a soldier home, like, every night or every other night. Hmm. So she tried to navigate what she thought adult relationships looked like, because yeah. she didn't really have a good model. So one instance, she actually became pregnant by one of those soldiers after a one-night stand. The man was completely in- uninterested in Martha, as was, this was a one-night stand, and he was very, very drunk. He was so appalled by the thought of being with Martha, who had suggested that they get married, that he'd tried to commit suicide by throwing himself off of a pier into a bay. That's- okay, then why did you have sex with her? Because he was, you know, drunk. That's, That's what he said. He was like, well, no, no, it's okay. not. It's not at all. But that's, it's to give you a broader idea of how people like were, people were uh, yeah, and how she felt like she was repulsive to people, yeah. you know? That's really sad. It's really sad. He did survive. And after essentially ghosting Martha, she decided to move back to Florida from California. And did she keep the baby? Knowing that her family and what acquaintances she did have might judge her for being pregnant out of wedlock, she actually purchased a fake wedding ring and claimed that the father was a Navy man who was currently enlisted overseas fighting in the Pacific. So that they had fallen for each other immediately after meeting and that they had gotten married. Hmm. So she gloated about town, about her husband, and he was this incredibly handsome, you know, war man and like you know he's this navy man and they're just you know they fell in love so swiftly they just had to get married and everybody believed it she just couldn't wait for him to be home so they could live happily ever after right so how long do you think this lie went on i was gonna say (laughs) i mean it could essentially go on forever she could say he died overseas well wouldn't you know it one day she actually received a letter in the mail that said that her beloved husband was killed in combat what how i'm sure she just made that she, I don't she think, sent it to herself. She sent it to herself. I don't even know if there was a letter. Either way, um, everybody about town was, like, devastated because of the news. It was even featured in the local paper. And she how had completely you, made it how up. How do you do that and then not feel like a piece of shit afterwards for lying about all that stuff? She was really excited about it, though, because she began to, like, receive all this attention and stuff. Yeah, of course. So in 1994... Or 1994 yeah, 1994. She's a vampire. <laughs> In 1944, she gave birth to her first child, a daughter named Willa Dean. That's kind of cute. Willa. Willa? Yeah. I think that's kind of cute. W-I-L-L-A. I like Willow. I like Willow, too. So just a few short months after her daughter was born, Martha actually met a bus driver named Alfred Beck, which, you know, mm. of course, 
Um, she very quickly became pregnant, and Alfred was a pretty sweet man, although he was kind of a bland man. Um, but as soon as they found out about the pregnancy, he did the right thing, and he married Martha. Hmm. Martha was really excited to be married, so she couldn't wait to change her name to Beck, so she's Martha Beck. They would wed, but about six months into their marriage, they actually filed for divorce. What? Yeah. Martha, at this point, is now jobless with two young children. Um, she became incredibly depressed. She isolated and began to obsess over romance novels and magazines. Mm -hmm. She dreamed of a man who would devote himself to her and her in return to just live a fairy tale lifestyle. Yeah. She began to pull herself up and eventually found work at a children's hospital in 1946. She once again poured herself into work like she normally does. Um, and she was known to be very good and dedicated to her job. Um, she was good at what she did. Martha said about her passion for helping others, quote, I chose this profession without the thought of self, and I want to prepare myself for this profession, not for material gains, but for the purpose of aiding humanity and rendering service to others. Okay, that's sweet. End quote. Yeah. That also sounds like me. <laughs> yeah. It was, it's a pretty professional quote. That's my cover letter when I <laughs> sent in an yeah, application. It's my cover letter. That's my summary. So she would um, quickly excel in her job, and she would become a superintendent of all of the nursing staff the year that she began her employment at the hospital. So mm. she moved up very quickly. Wow. Her coworkers knew her as a uh, helpless romantic, and one day, as a joke, her coworkers actually gave her an ad for a Lonely Hearts Club. Oh, no. Uh -huh. Martha, however, considered this to be a great idea. She was like, oh, my gosh, no, that's, that's perfect, because she's really self-conscious about her weight and the fact that she has two kids, she's divorced, things like that. And this is, like, a way for her to kind of control what goes out there. Yeah. After her ad was published, Martha waited day after day for a letter to appear in her mailbox. She would check every day and sometimes twice a day. She waited for her Prince Charming to respond, and around December of 1947, oh, Martha God. would receive a letter that would change the course of her life forever. <laughs> oh, no. Hatch falls on her head. <laughs> so Raymond, posing as a successful but lonely businessman, wrote a letter to the desperate Martha Beck. He described his lavish lifestyle and claimed that the only thing missing in his life was someone to share it all with. Oh, shut up. This is after he killed Jan. Yes. <laughs> after and he, he still has a wife. Sweet Jan. Was it Jan? No, Jane. Oh, my bad. So Martha was absolutely floored. She carried the letter around her all about town, telling locals about her fairy tale man who spoke eloquently. Dude, like, just shut up. Like, no, she loves the attention. She though. wants she everyone can't. to know that there's a dude involved. Mm -hmm. Like... She wrote back immediately, and then the two wrote back and forth within, you know, a, the course of two or three weeks with each other. Within this time that they were chatting, Raymond offered pictures of himself, and Martha felt pressured to respond in kind. Oh, no. Instead, she sent a picture of her with a group of coworkers that she had, so, like, she was kind of covered by her coworkers. Yeah. Although, of course, Raymond didn't care what she fucking looked like, because all he <laughs> cared was whether or not she was successful, and since... She showed a picture of her on this nursing staff. She's yeah. the superintendent of nurses. He thinks she has money. So Raymond's, of course, uh, voodoo, black magic, you know, stuff that they're, you know, corresponding with. Can mm -hmm. I have a locket of your hair? All the stuff, which she thought was very romantic. Another reason that Raymond really liked Martha is because Martha's maiden name is Seabrook. And that is Raymond's favorite voodoo and black magic author's last name oh so my in his gosh. mind he was like this is a connection like this is meant to be somehow Whatever. right 
He's like, I did this. I did this. <laughs> I inv- I created this. Yeah, I invited this person in. So um, they agreed to meet within a few weeks. Raymond took a train a few days after Christmas to meet up with Martha. So just so I'm clear, he's in New York and she's in Florida. Yes. Okay. Florida. Florida. She picked him up from the train station and took him immediately to her place to meet up with her children. What? Like, straight up. Like, I have these two little kids. As soon as you get off the train, I'm going to take you over to my place. Like, you're going to come stay over here. Yes. Who's going to stay with us. Right. Raymond and Martha were intimate the very first night, and Martha said that she had never felt so loved and fulfilled before. Well, probably because... Well, he thinks he's, like, this god to women, he probably does all the things. I'm just oh, saying. God. He probably does. But it was the first time that it wasn't, like, missionary. He's like, here, let me rub my bald head against you. <laughs> so what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> my, bald my balls all over you. My balls. My balls. head. <laughs> so unfortunately for Martha, Raymond was only staying um, the next few nights to weed out whether or not she had money. Yeah, of course. So he was trying to, of course, like, get to know her, get to know her, quote unquote. Martha, on the other hand, had confessed her unyielding love for him by the end of the week, asking him to marry her. So within this week, Raymond would claim he had an emergency business trip and he had to get back to New York as soon as possible. Oh my God. <laughs> she was, he was just like, oh yeah, so tell me about your life. Like, how much money do you make? Where's your bank accounts? Like, all this stuff, you know? And she's like, I love you. I love you so much. Marry me, man, meet. And he's like, I have a business trip. I gotta go. <laughs> so he hops back on a train, but she was really insistent. She was just like, when are you gonna marry me? When are we gonna get married? All this stuff. And since he wanted to scam her still, and keep contact with her, he insisted that he was going to go back to New York because he had to, but that he was going to send her money to move from Florida to New York. Okay. To kind of, like, make sure she wasn't, like, suspicious, I guess. Yeah. And to kind of calm her, which worked. So he totally thought this was going to... She totally thought this was going to be a thing. She thought that this is her dream dude. So again, Martha had no problem going around town yet again saying that she was to be married to her now fiancé. Oh my god, this lady. This guy was, like, this amazing wealthy businessman. So friends and family would actually throw Martha a bridal shower in celebration of the news. I, I can't. That's yeah. how convincing she is, though, yeah, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, she's that convincing that people thought. It's like, oh, my God, good for you. That's amazing. And he's in New York, and he's this wealthy businessman, and he's going to, like, pay for me to go up there, me and my kids, and we're going to live happily ever after. <sighs> On the day of the shower... Martha received a letter from Raymond saying that his feelings for her were clearly misunderstood by Martha and that he would not be coming back to Florida nor sending her any money to travel to New York. <laughs> oh my god. This poor woman. And, okay, but also not. First like, of all, this is like snail mail. So it's just like hilarious <laughs> it happened to get there the same day. The same day as the bridal shower. Oh my god. How embarrassing. I mean, I'm sure she didn't show anyone. She was like, oh, that's him. Oh, he died. <sighs> Actually, he died. Actually, he died. Again. <laughs> There's another one that died. <laughs> this time it was a bald eagle that came by and, I don't know. <laughs> He's the bald eagle. <laughs> so 
So Martha was actually really persistent in continuing to contact Raymond after this. She just would not let it go because she was so devastated. She pleaded with Raymond to come back to Florida. Raymond reluctantly agreed to have Martha come visit him in New York. Because I think he thinks that he's, he's, it's not really clear whether or not he's getting a lot of money out of this, but I think for him, it's just kind of like this ego feeder. Yeah. Like she's just pining over him. Like, so yeah. Which doesn't help because he's like already thinks that he's God's gift to women. Exactly. And then he finds the one woman she who's can't like help obsessed it. with she, <laughs> she can't help it. It's the voodoo. It's the voodoo. <laughs> what have I done? So Martha had actually left her kiddos with some relatives and she took a train. She stayed in New York for like two weeks. Martha's uh, trip in her mind was completely blissful, but almost as it, as soon as it came, it, she also had to leave. And so she was really disappointed that it wasn't for longer. Upon returning back to town, Martha had learned that she had actually been fired from her job because she just took an impromptu trip. Well, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. how it works. Right. <laughs> okay, just so leave. She had pretty much been like, oh, I'm, that's what I'm assuming it was for. So on January 18th, 1948, Raymond actually received a knock on his door. He opened the door to find Martha and her two small children no. on his doorstep. Over the course of the next six days, although being taken care of by Martha was really rewarding, Raymond couldn't very well carry out his dirty deeds with the kids around. Of course. So on January 25th, <gasps> no. No. 1948, Martha would actually travel to a Salvation Army where she dropped off her two small children, abandoning them. Okay, I thought you were going to say that he killed them, so I guess that's no. a little bit better. But, oh my god! But still, it's fucked. That is fucked up! Like, she was just like, oh, I just, I can't stand, like, I, I can just see her in my head, like, oh no, I've lost my job and my two small children, I'm just going to have to go to New York to be with my fiancé because, you know, I just don't know what else to do, I just can't live this life anymore. This is ridiculous. And then just knock on the door and just like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I just, I just cannot, I, I, I can't stay there anymore, I couldn't, not for one more second, you know, and just like, dramatic. Five children! <laughs> yeah. Like. So she arrives on the 18th, and that's what? Like, not even a week later. Like, a week later, she drops her kids off because he was insistent that he just wouldn't have kids around. It is really sad. Because that's more important than your children, right? As a final test to Martha's devotion, Raymond actually confessed to her that he was not, in fact, a businessman, but a carn artist. Mm. That he would manipulate women women just like her and then rob them. And that, in fact, he was still married to a woman in Spain who had two of his own children. Martha, instead of turning away, scooping her children back up and fleeing back to Florida, she yeah. just, like, accepted this and was like, I love you, and no matter what, like, she's going to stay by his side. All right. I don't feel bad for her. <sighs> it's so awful. It's awful. <sighs> so within a short amount of time, Martha actually became involved with looking through Lonely Hearts Club letters with Raymond. Eventually, oh the two God. would settle on their new victim. It's just bizarre and like wild to me that she is so desperate for love she's gonna do whatever it takes to i don't care i don't care i, I just want to be with someone i don't care i don't care at this point yeah like it's love obsessed it's, it's baffling i, I don't know it's yeah just, it's definitely not common i mean maybe it's common because you think about like crimes of passion and stuff like that but yeah. this isn't like a crime this is just like 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 unyielding dedication to someone yeah that you really don't even know, but you honestly. But you also think about people like Bonnie and Clyde, for example. Like, they actually were in love with each other. Right. And they both liked doing things together. These people aren't in love with each other. He doesn't love her at all. She they loves him. They both have... But he's they both have mental illnesses, yeah. honestly. 
So they turn their attention to retired school teacher Esther Hen of Pennsylvania. Under the guise that Martha was his sister-in-law, the two traveled to meet Esther for the first time in February 1948. Within a week, the couple was able to convince Esther to marry Raymond. A week. What? A week. He had also convinced her to move in with him, or at least to, to stay with him for some time until they figured out where their marital house would be. Shortly after the papers were signed, Raymond began to demand Esther to sign over her life insurance to him, as well as her teacher's pension. Yeah. And what'd she say? Esther said about the situation, quote, For four days, he was very polite to me. Then he gave me tongue lashings when I wouldn't sign over my insurance policy and my teacher's pensions fund to him. I would then begin to hear stories about how he had gone to Spain with a woman and that she had died. End quote. Yeah. Jesus. So by the time she decided to leave, she was actually out of a car and a few hundred dollars. Even during this time, Raymond was corresponding with other women. Soon after Esther left, he had made plans to meet with Myrtle Young of Arkansas. So just one right after the other. Yeah. Not only that, but he's like marrying people one right after the other, which is awful. And it doesn't matter back then because there's no paper trail there's no paper trail and i'm assuming there's really throughout the duration of this story i'm sure they used aliases yeah for certain crimes that they committed but there's only ever like one case where it actually like kind of comes out that he was using an alias so martha poses as raymond's sister this time and all three of them meet up so this is now myrtle raymond and martha They all meet up in Illinois in August of that same year, and this is where Raymond sweeps Myrtle off her feet and then marries her. However, this time Martha's jealousy is, like, in full swing. Oh, no. She's very insistent on Raymond not having sex with Myrtle, to the point to where Martha sleeps on the floor of the rooms that Raymond and Myrtle share, or sometimes even in the bed that they share. What? And And this is supposed to be a sister. Okay. This is supposed to be a sister. (laughs) It's so weird. And they're, like, in their 30s, so it's not, like, I don't know. I just... It's very weird. So this is, like, to ensure they don't consummate this marriage, right? (laughs) So after Myrtle becomes impatient and honestly a little freaked out that this dude is sharing a bed with his sister... Yeah. Raymond realizes that there's little time left in this con. Like, he's like, this is gonna run out one day. So Raymond and Martha actually drug Myrtle. They rob her of $4,000 in 19... That's a lot of money. What, in 1948? That's a lot of money. And they put her on a bus back to Arkansas from Illinois. They put her ass on a fucking bus and they flee to New York. By the time that the bus arrives in Little Rock, Myrtle is barely alive and she would actually succumb to the drugs. No. And she would die a few days later. Oh, no. Isn't that awful? awful. I was just abandoning her. I was getting ready to say, well, at least they didn't kill her, but oh my god. It's awful. So now they don't have any way of knowing that she's dead. They just think that they just sent her home on a bus, you know? They think that they just drugged her and that, you know, it was harmless or whatever. Although, clearly, Raymond has killed before. Yeah, But not with Martha at this point. Yeah. So making their way back to New York, Martha and Raymond uh, rob women, like, along the way to make it back to New York. Because they're just broke asses, by the way. They're just, like, they're always broke. Neither of them have a job. They don't really uh, find a long-term scam, which is really what they needed, again, because they're both not working. So once back in New York, a correspondence letter was received by them from Janet Fay. She's 66 years old, and she's from Albany, New York. Janet was a devout Christian, and she would attend church every Sunday. Her friends were always concerned about Janet using 
types of communication, like Lonely Hearts Clubs, for her safety. Um, but she had always assured her friends that she was very careful in communicating with these men. Raymond reached out to Janet under the name Charles Martin, and through weeks of reassurance that he was a genuine guy, Martha and Raymond both traveled to Albany and arrived on the day of December 30th, 1948. They checked into a hotel, and Raymond would um, show up that very same day with a bouquet of flowers in hand on Janet's doorstep. Raymond would treat Janet so well, and then, you know, of course, introduce him to his sister. Mm -hmm. They were touring uh, Albany. They would enjoy fancy dinners, all this stuff, right? Janet was so impressed that in order to save Raymond and his sister a little bit of money, she actually offered for them to stay with her for the remainder of the trip. So the following week, Raymond would ask Janet to marry him. Oh my gosh. To which she said yes. In an effort to isolate Janet from her friends and family, Martha had actually found an apartment in Long Island and was like, I found this great apartment. This would be an amazing, like, newlywed place for, like, all three of us to live. Ha ha. And Janet's Aww. like, okay. So she starts going around to, like, banks and stuff and closing out her accounts that, like, Raymond and Martha had convinced her, like, just close your bank accounts. And then when we get to Long Island, you just open an account there. Yeah. So she was closing out all of this stuff, right? Like, all these checks, all this money. It was close to $6,000. So on January 4th, 1949, this is, like, five days later, the threesome traveled from Albany, New York, to Valley Stream, Long Island. That night, they all ate, and they began to relax for the night. And at some point, Raymond and Janet went to bed. Martha had actually come onto the... come into the bedroom to find that although they were asleep janet was naked martha then flew into a rage she said about that night quote i was just burning up with jealousy and anger janet was naked with her arm around raymond end quote she would wake up the couple and then start screaming at janet saying quote i won't allow you to live with us you're the most brazen bitch i've ever seen end quote oh my god like she straight was just like I mean, can you imagine, though, that, like, everything's hunky-dory, everything's fine for the most part? Yeah. You think that you're sharing a bed with your now soon-to-be husband. Yeah. And that sister is just in the other room, and then you get woken up when you're, like, naked and, like, screamed at like yeah. that? Like, you're a brazen bitch. Like, what? Like, who are you? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> I'd be so confused. The last thing that Martha remembers of the night was Raymond saying to her, quote, just keep the woman quiet. I don't care what you do. Just keep her quiet, end quote. Speaking about Janet. Oh, no. The next thing Martha remembers is Raymond grabbing her by the shoulders and shaking her. Martha had blacked out, and she hadn't remembered a thing of the severe attack that Janet had just gone through. Bullshit. Jana had suffered a bludgeoning with a ball-peen hammer. First of all, you just moved into this apartment. You'd got a ball-peen hammer yeah, laying around somewhere? Fuck? I don't think so. She had also been strangled with her own scarf, and um, she had passed during the savage attack. The couple would then clean up the apartment as best they could, stuff Janet's body into the bedroom closet, and then proceed to fall back asleep. No one else can see me but you, but my mouth is, like, on the floor. Savage, bruv. What? The next morning, they removed Janet's body from the closet and put her into, like, a trunk or a chest. How do you sleep knowing there is a dead body in the I don't know. closet? This is what I'm thinking is, like, Martha has to be very, like, like, unattached. Because this is now her first crime that she's witnessed, like, a murder. Apparently. Okay, yeah. this is... And I will say this. 
What I'm naming off are the things that they have talked about. Yeah. There's apparently a lot of other stuff in between that we apparently don't know about. I don't believe that she blacked out. I don't believe that either. And then to, like, wake up and then she she had described that there was, like, blood all over the room, blood all over herself. And she's just cool with it? And you just it? clean it up and go to bed? Like... That's not... So that's not someone that's sane. No, I don't think... I don't think it is. So they took Janet's body, they, they took it out of the closet, they put it in this chest or, like, a big trunk, and they put it in the trunk of their car. They then drove to Raymond's sister, which, as best I can tell is somewhere on the East Coast, because remember they were living in Connecticut mm-hmm. when he was younger, so she might live around there, somewhere on the East Coast. His real sister. His biological <laughs> sister. His, yeah, his real sister. Um, she was really reluctant to have him even be on the property, let alone store anything at her mm-hmm. house, so she reluctantly let him store this chest in her basement. And she didn't ask, like, what's in it or anything like that? He probably evaded that. But clearly it was not something that was normal because yeah. the sister was very reluctant. In the meantime, Martha and Raymond had began to cash Janet's checks. They eventually rented out a house in Queens where they would ultimately bury the chest after retrieving it from Raymond's sister's house. And they put it in the basement and they poured cement, they buried it and they poured cement over it. Imagine it. finding out like so many years later that there was a body in that chest and it that's, was just in your basement for, that's like, happened. a long amount of time. Oh, that's happened. That has absolutely happened. Where they're like, what is this? What is that? I remember there was one with the girls in the barrel. I know it sounds like the Dexter episode. Yeah. But it really was, like, a woman that was in a barrel in someone's basement. And they didn't... And he moved out all of his shit but didn't think to take the fucking barrel. Idiot. <laughs> or he was like, somebody else's problem now. Yeah, It was horrible. I think it was, like, his nanny or, like, a nanny. Or, like, the kid's nanny that he fell in love with or something like that. I remember she was from the Philippines, though, which made me really sad. People are Because she was alone. It's awful. So, anyways. um, So, anyways, Janet's body (laughs) was in the basement. Um, And, of course, like I said, poured cement all over it. So, Martha and Raymond took it even further they actually typed out letters in an effort to conceal handwriting discrepancies between from Janet's friends and family. She, they actually wrote to her family saying how happy she was to be Mrs. Martin and that she was so excited her fairy tale could begin. That's so dumb. Just don't fucking send anything. Her family like, then took the letters immediately to police filing a missing persons <laughs> yeah. report. As Janet did not know how to type, nor owned a typewriter. Oh my, exactly. Fucking idiots. This is 1948. Not everybody got a typewriter. I'm just saying. That (laughs) is so dumb. Like, you could have just not sent anything in the family, but it probably would have been like, okay, like, whatever. Yeah. I'm happy, you know. Raymond, now posing as Charles Martin for some time at at this point, he had also been corresponding with Delphine Downing all throughout the relationship that he shared with Janet. Delphine was 41 years old, and she was a widow. She quickly fell for Charles, whom she thought was a successful businessman who yearned to have children of his own. Oh, my God. And since he had meet, had he had yet to meet the right person to settle down with, he didn't have any children, but that's something that he desperately wanted. Fuck you. Delphine loved this because her herself was a single mother of a two-year-old child. Her daughter's name was Raynell, which I love. I think it's really cute. cute. After exchanging letters for quite some time, Charles said that he was coming in to visit Delphine, seemingly all of a sudden. So this is, and with his sister, of course. 
at this point, he's actually just trying to escape the area that Janet's death kind of yeah. surrounded. So mm-hmm. that's why it seems so sudden for him to message Dolphine and say, you know, I or write, not message. <laughs> he just texted. <laughs> yeah. Carrier pigeon. Uh, <laughs> Delphine allowed um, both Charles and his sister to stay with her. Charles was immediately accepted by Delphine as Charles was actually wonderful with Raynell. His sister, on the other hand, was very cold to her and her daughter. Mm. And I think what it what it was was that because Raymond was so wonderful with Raynell, that Martha was jealous because she had taken her own two children yeah. to the Salvation Army. So, of course, Martha is just getting in more and more infuriated yeah. with this because it's just it's frustrating to her. So a physical relationship would soon start between Charles and Delphine, which, of course, of course, Martha hated. Delphine seemed mostly happy with the situation. However, within a few weeks, Charles, or Raymond, began asking Delphine for money. Soon this would turn into him asking for access to her bank accounts. This was not something that Delphine would be okay with. In fact, she would deny Raymond every single time he would ask. One day, Delphine walked in on Charles in the bathroom without his toupee. Which apparently he had been wearing a toupee. Hilarious. And mostly, I think it's because, and I haven't really brought this up before, just because we didn't. We talked about his physicality at the beginning of the episode, but um, at this point, of course, like we know that he's bald and he's not that great looking, and so I'm like, I wonder why these women want to sleep with him. (laughs) But apparently, he's just been wearing a toupee this whole time. But he has a massive scar on his head from the accident. And so Delphine was really creeped out by that. She thought that that was, that maybe he's wearing the toupee to cover it or something, whatever it was. But it was mostly because, like, why would you not let me know? Like, you're supposed to marry me, you love me, you know, all this stuff, right? So a lot of things are becoming very suspicious to Delphine. Delphine confronted Charles, Charles, (laughs) and accused him of being a fraud. Raymond kept the facade going as best he could, but ultimately the damage had been done. Yeah. She is very very cautious about him. So as the tension rose in the house, Martha was becoming more and more frustrated with the situation as well. On February 28th of 1949, you know it. You know it, y'all. When you hear a date, it's important. (laughs) Martha convinced Delphine to swallow sleeping pills. I'm not sure how or why. Maybe either she poisoned her or something, but this is all Martha's account. Yeah. So, yeah. Um... So she convinced her somehow to swallow these sleeping pills. Maybe she was like, well, this is like a really stressful situation. Like, you know, I'm sorry that, you know, you had to find out about Maybe you're not sleeping well. Maybe you're not sleeping well. Just try to relax. I'll take care of your kid. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Once Delphine fell asleep, Martha began to strangle the little girl who had been crying since her mother had fallen asleep because it was induced. I don't think it was her intention to actually kill Raynell or if it was something stopped her halfway through, but Raynell did suffer marks on her neck. The paranoia from both Martha and Raymond had set in at this point, and they feared once Delphine saw the bruises, they would be forced to leave with nothing in hand. Yeah. Raymond found a gun in Delphine's closet, and while she slept, Raymond shot the single mom, killing her instantly. Oh. And this is in front of Raynell. Oh my god, that's so awful. Raymond and Martha then took Delphine's lifeless body down into the basement, where they buried her and eventually would cover her in cement, into her own basement. Now responsible for another mouth to feed, Raymond and Martha tried to survive off of what little valuables Delphine had in the house, because they didn't have access to her banks. Um, this is also very little in whatever checks she had laying around as well. 
Raynell was absolutely traumatized after witnessing the murder of her mother, and yeah, she actually yeah. refused to eat. She would rarely sleep, and she cried constantly for the love of her mom. And, I mean, at this point, honestly, the love of a stranger. Yeah. <laughs> Anything is better than being with those two people. Um, this is the state for about two days um when raymond ultimately decided that they couldn't care for raynell oh no however they couldn't leave her with family neighbors or even an orphanage because it would raise suspicion of where delphine was so at that point raymond had decided that they needed to kill raynell martha was actually heartbroken at the thought because she had already given up two children of her own and oh but she fucking strangled her like three days before this yeah so heartbroken my ass right but that's what she said, that she was like, okay, well, I gave away two kids, and then now I thought we were going to be able to keep Raynell, and then now Raymond's telling me that we can't. Content warning. Martha had went into the basement, and she filled up a metal pail with water in the basement, um, and she actually drowned Raynell on the March on oh. March 1st. She drowned her in the pail. Um, Raymond and Martha then dug up a grave next to Delphine's body and placed the little girl next to her mother, pouring additional cement over Raynell. Ugh, these That's people awful. just keep you guessing. Yeah. You would think that their next course of action would be like, okay, let's get out of here. Yeah, let's Two leave. dead bodies. There's nothing to take. No, they went to the movies. What the fuck? They went to the movies. They had a great night out. Uh, Raymond and Martha returned to Delphine's house to turn in for the night. However, just 10 minutes later, they received a knock at the door. And it was the Grand Rapids Police Department. Well, yeah, I mean, there was a gunshot that happened at that house two days prior. Yeah. So the police had actually received tips from neighbors who thought that it was odd they hadn't seen or heard from Delphine in a few days. That's how close her neighbors were to yeah. her. They noticed two strange people coming and going from her place as well. Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck were booked on charges of murder after their visit from police because they proceeded to tell them the entire truth. What? Immediately. Absolutely confessed to every crime they had committed. Well, the ones that they could remember because apparently there was... A lot more. Oh, my gosh. Neither of them asked for an attorney, and each of them signed a 73-page confession letter. However, the couple did this with the promise of not being returned to New York to face charges there. They knew that Grand Rapids police did not have, like, in um, Michigan, they don't have the death penalty. Oh, so They didn't want to get extradited to New York to face charges for Janet's murder. Yeah. They'd rather stay in Grand Rapids and be tried for Delphine's murder. Um... And right now. Yeah, and right now. Um, very quickly, the local media absolutely went nuts. Um, it became national news as well. They called Martha things like fat, unattractive, the 200 pounds of wrath, among other very, very ugly things. I mean, it's not incorrect. Well, I, <laughs> that's. I'm sorry, I don't feel bad for her now. I, I'm not <laughs> saying you can feel bad for her. I'm just saying, like, it's just... It's just, it's back to that whole thing. It's like she lived this fantasy with Raymond for so long where she was loved and beautiful and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, nope, back to reality. Yeah. And it smacks you hard, you know? Um, But they seriously played up the ugliness of the couple. Like Raymond Fernandez with his bald, like, head and his gold teeth and his big, like, yeah. Which he did look a little Weasley man. Do you remember the, um, like, Tex Avery cartoons where it's like uh, the wolf who's like he's like a, he's it's a Tex Avery cartoon where he's like the wolf and he's like ow like and like at women and he's always kind of dressed like a like a pimp <laughs> no, no. <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I that's what I imagine when I think of Raymond Raymond Fernandez <laughs> 
So yeah, they seriously played up the ugliness. So although the deal was struck with Michigan, New York actually really wanted their hands on the couple. So Michigan waived the charges for Delphine and Raynell's murder so that they could be extradited oh, for Janet hilarious. Faye's murder because they wanted the electric chair. So this was specifically, um, so the death penalty would be on the table. Yeah. So the trial would start June 28th, 1949 with, the f- with Fernandez taking the stand on July 11th. While on the stand, Fernandez would deny killing anyone, and he claimed that the only reason he confessed so boldly was to cover for the love of his life, Martha. <laughs> that since he was a man, he knew that he could do the time instead of her being in prison because it wouldn't be as easy for her. He said that the murders were committed for, for Martha or because of Martha or however the prosecution you know they actually brought up though they were like oh this is all because of martha martha was the one to do all this martha manipulated you martha 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 Martha. they're like what about jane thompson in spain oh because at this point he had confessed to everything because he thought he was only gonna get tried for one dipshit yeah so he was like they were like oh uh uh, because that was before you even talked to martha no martha yeah (laughs) that's funny hmm so, um, in all, Fernandez and Beck were actually um, accused of or pr- attempted to be prosecuted for 17 deaths. What? Although they would only be convicted for one, which was Janet's. I know. So, that's what I'm saying. Like, they were like, well, this is the MO. These are the crimes. Like, they confessed to X amount of killings and X amount of um, robberies, Um but these are all the ones that we think are also connected. So they assumed that it, so if you look at their bio, it says five to 17 because they don't mm. know. But these are the ones that they had confessed to, essentially. So the jury would return with a guilty verdict on August 22nd of 1949, and both were sentenced to death by electric chair. Wow. On March 8th of 1951, each ate their last meals. You want to know what they ate? Yep. Martha's food consisted of fried chicken and french fries. Raymond's consisted of chocolate and a Cuban cigar. That's his last meal. That's fucking intense. I mean, he had other things, but those were the most notable things. Like, it was just like, mm, that's a little Cuban weird. Cuban cigar. Cuban cigar. Raymond's last words were, quote, I want to shout it out. I love Martha. What does the <laughs> public know about love? End quote. He did not love her. That's the thing. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he did at the end. Maybe he did at the end. When Martha's time came, she was quoted as saying, quote, what does it matter who is to blame? My story is a love story, but only those tortured with love can understand what I mean. I was pictured as a fat, unfeeling woman. I am not unfeeling, stupid, or moronic. In the history of the world, how many crimes have been attributed to love? End quote. I mean, I don't know, man. She gave away her kids. I don't think that's very lovable of her. Right? <laughs> like, just because, like, you, I mean... Maybe she wasn't a stupid woman, but I don't know. Like, it's just... Well, I didn't know that case. That's very interesting. It was intense. It was an intense one. Especially that poor little girl. That's awful. I'm going to give a shout out to Rob Dyke because uh, original YouTube name, Rob Dyke. I prefer it. But (laughs) um, he was the one that actually covered a little bit of that case. And that's kind of what inspired me. So Hmm. shout out to him. Yes. I love you. Shout out. Well, that was intense. Yeah. That was... uh... It's definitely weird. It's definitely strange. It's, I, I clearly, um, like CTE is a factor. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but in Martha's case, I mean, borderline personality disorder. I agree. For yeah, sure. Borderline. But it's, it's like, it's, it's almost like a compulsive nature mm-hmm. to, to be obsessed with someone like that, you know? I think she was, I think she, of course, had borderline personality disorder and it was also coupled with like her, like needing to be loved and be, have attention towards her mm-hmm. her entire life she didn't have someone giving her that attention. And right. like, as soon as she found it, she was going to do whatever it took to not let it go mm-hmm. again. Sounds you know? like Kristen Gilbert. Kristen Gilbert was yeah. like that too. Yeah. It kind a little of bit. Yeah. But oh, she insisted awful. she swallowed glass. Awful. That sounds awful. Yeah. And I think he, he definitely had, it was a, I think it had everything to do actually with that head injury of his. I don't think, yeah. he had, I mean, he seemed like he was going on a good track before that. And then it seems like that was the turning point. Yeah, I feel bad for Encarnacion. I know. Wherever she is. Hey, at least she's, I mean, not alive anymore, but at least <laughs> she, she was made free. it out. Yeah. <laughs> she situation. was free and she didn't die, yeah. And then I also Awful. think about, like, um, Myrtle, who, she yeah. escaped before and then, anything I mean, worse could happen to her. I mean, God forbid, he could have decided to kill uh, Martha's kids, you know? And That's true, that if she was bad. insistent on keeping the kids. But again, we don't know what those conversations looked like. Yeah, you know, there's not a lot of documentation. So he could have said, you need to get your kids out of here before I kill them or something. Yeah, you know? that's true. Well, good case. <laughs> it was intense. Yeah, it was and intense it was a one-parter, too. It's it was. It's a second part. <laughs> we have a couple um, a couple things in the works. I think we're still going to try to make a TikTok, potentially, uh, start getting some, some more viewers and yeah. content out there. Uh, of course, we have another mental breakdown coming up after this. It'll be mine. And we have a new Patreon. Uh, Jay Will is now a Patreon. Jay so Thanks, Jay Will. He was talking to me about the most recent case, so I know he's going to be, like, one of the first ones to listen <laughs> to this. So I appreciate the support. In the meantime, if you guys, again, have any suggestions or you want us to cover a specific mental breakdown, you can email us at diagnosingakiller at gmail.com. We have Twitter at KillerDiagnosis, Instagram at DiagnosingAKiller, and then the Patreon is patreon.com slash DiagnosingAKiller. And we'll be giving you the info for TikTok soon, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.